electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of the rally after the worst day for stocks in nearly a year. Now we'll debate the road ahead with the investment committee, tell you about some moves they're making as well today. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss. Good to have everybody with us. We checked the markets. Well, Dow is now red. We're trying to bounce from this day we had yesterday. We're watching the majors. We're watching the Russell, which is having a nice bounce. But don't forget, it got smoked yesterday by more than 4%. It was just downright ugly. Yield surge. They're backing off a bit. But, you know, I guess the question, Joe, is, is this, was yesterday a game changer for the rally? Um, does it change the narrative in a significant enough way to then change where stocks go from here? When you say where stocks go from here, uh, I'll first speak towards the entirety of 2024. No, I think there's still a positive trend that is in place. I do think yesterday was critically important in breaking a lot of the very strong, as I've called it, white hot momentum in the market. Mm -hmm. I think we broke that. I think what is also very significant <laughs> is that in the <coughs> is that in the Treasury market, um, you you now have the market which is aligning with the Federal Reserve in terms of there being three rate cuts on the year. So, Scott, I said to you two weeks ago, uh, you didn't call me out on it. You should have because the market rallied the minute I said it. But I thought February would be a down month. And, you know, I, I was very surprised by the, the early rally that we've had. Uh, but the momentum is, is definitely damaged for sure. I was going to go to Weiss, but it sounds like he's, yeah. got to pick, he's got to pick some stuff up off the floor. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to go to him yet. Um, so, Jimmy, Wolf Research today says it's the start of a much overdue digestion of gains. Won't put too much emphasis on one day, but certainly felt like it's the start of something. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo, at least a 5% slide, this suggests. Seaport, the first dip is now on us. I mean, it's very, people are very quick to jump on one day's trade and say, oh my gosh, here we go. Told you, told you this wasn't sustainable. What do you say? Well, weren't we all kind of watching to see how the market would react today? I mean, I, I think we all were. And, and let's actually just for a second digest what's happening right now. Uh, small caps are bouncing back. I mean, personally, and, and I think everybody knows my thesis that small caps are going to outperform this year. I'm pretty darn happy to see that they didn't follow through to the downside, either in absolute or relative terms. They're nicely outperforming. What I also find, find quite curious is NVIDIA. NVIDIA started the day out really strong. It was up 2.5%. Now it's just barely positive. 
Um, is this, and I, look, it's, it's too little data to really stake this claim. I'm going to make it, but I'm going to acknowledge there's some issues with what I'm about to say. It does feel like leadership is rotating. It feels like yesterday was a one-off. We can explain CPI away by a number of things. Yes, it might be dangerous to do so, but shelter really is what caused uh, yesterday's hot CPI, and we know that it's lagging. So, look, I'm going to come out and say it. I do think the leadership rotation is underway, but I can't confirm it, folks. I can't prove it, so I might well be wrong. Okay. Um, Jenny, I think at this point the most important question is, if we think that this sort of cause and effect, right, the cause CPI comes in hotter, the effect is stocks go down because the implication of all of this is that rate cuts get pushed further down the train tracks. So how much tolerance is there in the market for that scenario in which these, this, the idea of rate cuts happens, but it just gets pushed further back? Well, I think in the, in the longer term of the overall year, I think there's plenty of tolerance. But at this level, with the S&P around 5,000, where I believe it's priced to perfection, I think there's none. And that's what yesterday reminded us of, is how anxious people are at these levels and how any little bit of disappointment is going to be latched onto. And it, I think people are looking for relief. And you know what? I'm one of them. I'm sitting on almost 10% in the equity income strategy. And what have I been saying? I'm waiting for a better opportunity. These prices don't feel good to me. Well, I like the stocks and I could actually buy what's on my watch list now. I think if the market pulls back, I'll get in cheaper. I think there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of us sitting around waiting and saying, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good. You know, what, what's it going to be? I'm nervous about NVIDIA next week. If they blink wrong, I think it could be a similar response to yesterday. But see, there were a lot of people last year who were sitting around saying the exact same thing. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Stocks uh, are going straight up. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And then they miss it. And now here we are trying to time it perfectly. But That's last, a difficult game to play if you want to play it. It is. But last year did, and the year before, too. It gave opportunities. It wasn't really just a straight lineup. I would, well, actually, at the broad market level, it was kind of a straight lineup. But beneath the surface, patience has been paying off because there's been so much volatility beneath the surface. Um, but I think you're right. It's a cause and effect, and people are looking for a cause. Weiss, <laughs> you know, um, I hope you've cleaned yourself up and you're okay. Um, Tom Lee says, unlikely to mark the top yesterday. Krinsky says, odds favor a rebound. I see you got, you picked up your pocket square. You're back. How do you see it? <laughs> Poor Weiss. I'm here. I'm here. I did, I did unplug the mic for, uh, for informational purposes. Look, okay. what's important is that the, is, is, you're welcome, is that investors, maybe it was just the Momo crowd that came in at the top, uh, clearly panicked yesterday. But in my view, I doubt the Fed had anywhere near the same reaction. If you listen to what Powell's words are, they want to make sure that inflation is going down. And that's why they're not going to cut until the second half of the week. So that's really the important thing to look at. Second sure, half the, the market year. right now is second nervous. Second half of the year. You said Second half of the year. Sorry. Second half of the year. Yeah, second half of the year, sorry. That's and I think it's only going to be three cuts. It's not going to be five or six. So maybe the market over time will have to adjust that. You'll see further volatility. But here, here's, what, you know, here's what I'm seeing. I don't see any type of balance here. Sure, you've got Russell up a little bit, but based upon how violent and how deep the pressure was yesterday, this is like a non-recovery. As a matter of fact, as you also pointed out, you've got in the red. And I wouldn't be surprised for me to see the market completely in the red, all indices, or slightly in the green. The point is PPI is going to overhang. It's now become a very important focus point. 
it's not taken for granted that inflation is going to come down. Mm -hmm. But whoever thought it would come down in a straight line was misguided because that just doesn't happen like it has been. So I think you're okay longer term at the back half of the year. But I've been surprised there hasn't been a correction. I agree with Joe's view, and I remember him saying it. February would be a down month. It typically is. So I, I still think we're okay to set up well for the second half. I mean, Joe, you, you, you do cer- – certainly you were wondering whether, you know, yesterday changed the calculus in any way for the Fed, the timeline for cuts. As we said, Austin Goolsby, Chicago Fed president today, said the inflation goal based on PCE, not CPI, trying to sort of talk everybody off the ledge, yeah. so to speak. Don't judge a trend from one month's number. Former Boston Fed president Rosengren tweeted, market overreacted. To the CPI report. Great remarks by the Federal Reserve. I applaud them. Right on, spot on in terms of their messaging. I also was wrong. I thought the market was correct when it was pricing in six cuts. Um, the Federal Reserve is actually the one that was right. And I think yesterday validated their patience. I think that's what occurred yesterday. We validated the Federal Reserve's patience, and I think that they should be commended for that. What changed yesterday? is the market structure. What I've been talking about since the beginning of the year, where you've had all this non-discretionary buying that's sitting there watching you on closing bell, waiting for breakouts through milestones and coming in with hundreds of billions of dollars worth of buying. Okay, now they're sitting back. There's no more milestones. There's no more breakouts for them to buy. So that element of momentum has now been removed from the market where the non-discretionary is gone. And I think that's a critical factor. Jimmy mentioned leadership rotating. I don't know exactly where leadership is rotating to, and I don't even know if leadership has to rotate, but what I see is that we've just, we have calmed down the strong momentum, and I think that's gonna lead to a market that's a little bit choppy and sideways as we await further in economic data like PPI. Choppy and sideways isn't necessarily good for broadening to, to the point you're trying to make of believing in the broadening. Yeah, and, and that's not the kind of market that generally is going to work for that. No. no. Um, and look, I have to say this. I can't sit here and say, you know, pound the table and prove to anyone listening that the rotation is happening. I have been saying this for a couple of weeks now, though, that this back and forth in the leadership. And I have seen it for about three weeks where you get a couple of days where either the equal weight S&P 500 or Russell 2000 outperforms. And then the next two days, it's right back to the mag seven. But some of the things and I've said it, it evolves over a period of time. It's not, you know, one day where everything turns. But I want you to consider the MAG-7 is the MAG-5 right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. You cannot include Apple and Tesla, at least from a performance point of view. From a size and importance to the market, sure, but they're not performing as a monolith. Um, And and I also just want to add to this that for the broadening to occur, you don't need six rate cuts. I agree with you totally, Joe. You do need a few. Okay, you, you've got to make it clear that Three. the Fed is done. Three would be great. And I take some comfort, not from just Mr. Goolsby, but actually Chair Powell yesterday in a closed-door session. You don't see this happen very often where you get real-time data in a closed-door a closed uh, session with Congress. He said that he was pretty much not put off by the CPI yesterday. The PCE is what matters. We- we, we need to get, like, I think beyond the trying to count how many cuts there are I going agree. to be. And just say, OK, yep. when the first one happens, let's ring the bell. Let's figure out where we where we go. Perfect. next. Can I dance with that just really quickly to say, <laughs> what if this year the Fed doesn't matter? What if after two years of just hyperventilating every doggone day about the Fed, what if we get that first rate cut and then we stop worrying about it? 
That's what I think is going to happen. Well, the question is, when do you get it? Like, you know, double lines, Jeffrey Gunlock. What a day to have him yesterday as, you know, the market's down. Dow's down 700 points. He's down in Miami with Bob Pisani. Pops on our our closing bell show. And, you know, I asked him what all of this means for the prospects of a May cut. Here's what he said. There's enough data coming up between now and then. But it's probably going to be June if, if it happens at all. But our inflation model um, is such that absent a spike in oil, which has had every reason to spike, right, every excuse with Ukraine and the Red Sea and all that, and it hasn't. But if it, so if it stays where it is, then we think inflation on the CPI will relax, and this will be something of a blip, particularly uh, on, on the headline number, and it'll go down to about 2.5%. Okay, so that's Gunlock said that could be a blip, right? He used that word at, that on top of Rosengren saying overreacted to CPI. Goolsby, again, as I say, don't judge a trend by, by one month's number. Jenny? Well, and I think that goes back to what I was saying before. It's an overreaction because people are looking for an excuse. Um, I think the interesting thing is, is your point about, you know, what if we just get there and then we can just take a breath and go on, or maybe Jim, Jim made that point, sorry, if we can just get to the cut and move on from there and stop having every single day waking up and worrying about it. I don't think that's possible. I think that's the way this market's programmed this year. And, and when I wrote my year-end letter, I was saying, this is, you know, it's back to basics of investing. All we're worrying about this year are interest rates and earnings. Why interest rates from the stock market? Because interest rates are going to tell us what valuation is reasonable to put on the market. So I don't think we well, can get I think away. It's, I think it's almost backwards. I think it's earnings may matter more than interest rates because if earnings are good, they're going to, the interest gonna, rates aren't going to spook us that much. Right. We've already been, we're already, interest rates are good, already high. Good earnings. Okay. You don't <laughs> need any cuts. That, that's what okay. Okay. But good no earnings. No cuts, good earnings. I could take that scenario. I'll, I'll go with you on that. Good earnings, and we can maintain this 20 times that we're at fine. But those are really the two influencers. So as nice as it would be for us to pretend that it'd be great to get away from worrying about the Fed, I don't think we can, because I don't know how good earnings can actually get. You know, it looks like after Q1, it looks like we're going to get to that 247, but I don't know that we're going to get beyond that. Let's, let's um, do this. Let, let's, let's pivot and talk a little bit more specifically about the, the bounce we're trying to get in the mega caps today. We had mentioned yesterday, I mean, it's not really healthy for the market if NVIDIA is going up every day, if ARM Holdings is going up 25, 35, 40 percent every day. So it was down yesterday. Speaking of ARM, it's up 4 percent today. It's at 124, just shy of 125. I mean, it was as high as 135 today. So you you are getting dip buyers in the stocks that have been really in favor of late. We asked Rich Saperstein yesterday, too. He's one of the highest rated financial advisors in America. Uh, on closing bell as well about the concentration there, um, whether it's okay to buy the dip. I want you to listen to what he said. They're overextended relative to the cash flows. Um, I don't want to make an argument that they're cheap, but if we look at the price to growth ratio, meaning uh, these stocks are expected to grow at 20% next year, this year, and the PEs are 30. So it's a one and a half times PE to growth ratio or a peg. If you look at the non-mags, they're selling at roughly three times the price to growth ratio. Their expected growth is six and they're selling around 16, 18 times earnings. So relative to the non-mags, the, the, the growth and the multiple of the mags still put them in an attractive area, especially for a long-term investor that has an opportunity to add them 
uh, after they've pulled back to more reasonable levels. Goes to the buy on the dip, Weiss. I mean, if you're a longer-term investor, this is still the place that people want to be. Even somebody like Rich Saperstein, who's been, I'd say, more cautious than almost anybody on this program over the course of the last 18 months. He has exposure to several of the mega cap stocks and says, no, yeah, okay, they may be a little overextended, but so what if you're a long-term investor? And he gave you all the metrics as to why it's, quote, unquote, okay. Yeah, actually, Rich and I have have shared the same view. We we talk offline uh, multiple times. Uh, And I agree with what he's saying. I mean, if you take a look at Meta, Meta is really priced at a market multiple, yet the growth is much greater. They're buying back a lot of stock. So the market is perhaps not being rational in terms of the daily moves, but it's being rational in terms of where the money is going. You take a look at, you know, some of the others, some of the industrials that have missed earnings. And Uber's not really an industrial, even though it's in the industrial sector. But And they made them. But so I'm not even counting on them. So I think the market is being rational. I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing to have an overweight rating in companies that have fortress balance sheets, that are on the cutting edge of new technology, that have shown an ability to grow their earnings meaningfully in recessions and in up economies. So I think we're good there. The other point I'd make, you know, on the market overall, isn't it a win-win situation? Because if the Fed just holds rates steady, they're doing so because the economy is so strong. And that's been the bull case for the last year. And if they cut rates, then you've got a rate easing environment with drive stocks. So you really need an exogenous shock or just a time, you know, uh, uh, an in-time correction or consolidation to disrupt the market. So that's why I still like it here, in particular, those stocks. I'm going to get to our chart of the day in a moment, but I do want to first get to a move of Joe's, and that's you sold Twilio. Why don't you tell our viewers why? Because you just bought it not even two months ago. Bought it in December. Um, look, the totality of my Twilio trading has been one of success, but it was one of success prior to the pandemic. Since the pandemic, I have not been able to really capture uh, trading Twilio well. I bought Twilio last March on what I perceived to be a technical breakout above 70. I ended up selling it two months later below 50. I tried again here in the month of December to buy it once again. Above, I bought it above 75. I bought it above bucks. 75. I bought it above 75 dollars. And yesterday, uh, yesterday was a day where I just said, okay, I've had enough of this. We're coming up on. 60 days of ownership. The stock has done nothing for me in an overall market environment that looks really good. Okay, I obviously can't capture what's going on correctly with Twilio. Let me step to the sidelines. Because, you know, you could easily look at, you know, one day if it was, as you, I think, agreed earlier, a overreaction in the market to the CPI. Rates spiking is going to have an outsized impact on a stock like Twilio. Absolutely. So why make a so sale ha- judgment based on something that, that could be idiosyncratic in the way that it moved in a single day? So sp- specifically, because the 52-week high is 79 bucks. So let, let's, let's understand what happens on a day like yesterday when, you, when you're sitting there trading something in the market. A day like yesterday tends to illuminate everything in your P&L, good and bad. You tend to look at things and say, okay, do I need to, to address certain positions that I have in the portfolio? And I've been looking at Twilio over the last few weeks and saying to myself, boy, there's dramatic 
relative underperformance, not only to the market itself, but mm -hmm. the other technology names. And on a day like yesterday, okay, you, you reach that point, you have that crescendo, and it's, it's a highly emotional day. You say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do some risk management surrounding the portfolio. And I look at Twilio and say, look, I'm just not understanding correctly what this company is doing because the price appreciation just isn't there for me in an environment where it should be. And that's where the risk management element comes into play. And you say, okay, I'm gonna cut my loss on this. I just don't understand it. I'm not trading it the right way. It probably goes up from here, but I think that's the right investment behavior to have. Okay. Uh, our chart of the day today is Uber. Weiss mentioned it, it's ripping. It's up uh, almost 12% on the back of the investor day, announced the first ever buyback too. A lot of optimism here. Deirdre Bosa out in San Francisco is going to take us through what is quite a run for this stock, getting another big leg higher today. Yeah, you call it your chart of the day. It could also be your chart of the year. It has just taken off and really separated itself from Lyft. You can see here that they used to trade in tandem, but Uber has just taken off. And how did we get here? Well, it has really been transformed as a company. And Dara Khazrashahi, the CEO, he is an operator through and through. He has listened to Wall Street. This one from being a company that lost billions of dollars a year, this growth at all costs mentality. It was literally battling its drivers and it had a brand problem to now free cash flow, more than $3 billion worth of free cash flow, consistent gap profitability, and of course, the buyback. So Dara Khosrowshahi is giving Wall Street everything that it wanted. It does beg a question, perhaps, should he? Let's take a look at the free cash flow margin, because for Uber, it's about 9%. Compare that to Airbnbs, which also announced an expanded buyback last night of $6 billion. Its average free cash flow margin for the last year was more than 40%. You also have to think about things like stock-based comp compensation, which does not get taken out of free cash flow. At Uber, that's $1.9 billion. But what it does do, Scott, is it belies a lot of confidence, right? Dara Khosrow Shahi in that Investor Day update believes that free cash flow is just going to grow and grow. So maybe they will grow into this buyback. Um, but it really is sort of like a feather in his cap. It's been a long journey. This is a stock that traded below its IPO price for many, many years. And we're, he's start, certainly starting to reap the benefits of that. Everything is working. The year of efficiency, um, becoming an operator. And that's how we reach this enormous valuation for the company. I mean, you, you really underscore what the sentiment seems to be from Investors D, which, you know, we have many on the program today. But I also spoke with Altimeter's Brad Gerstner earlier on the move today and the announcements and really exactly what you're hitting on. He told me, quote, Dara and Team Uber are firing on all cylinders along with Zuck. Of course, Mark Zuckerberg. Dara put a dagger in the age of excess. The results, massive growth in profits, nearly tripling free cash flow to $9 billion in 2026, along with a return of capital to shareholders and improving stock-based comp, as Deirdre was just talking about. Uber is showing a blueprint for all of tech. Really, D speaks to the kind of uh, note that this company is hitting on and how much it's now resonating with investors. Yes, but let me also say that... Wall Street is one stakeholder. Another very big group of stakeholders that we should not forget here are the drivers themselves. That leads to the supply for Uber, right? And better service levels, of which it still competes on with DoorDash and Lyft. And 
it's important to remember that that is not really a settled story here, and it's something that pokes its head up every once in a while. There is a Valentine's Day strike today. You're having thousands of Uber and Lyft and DoorDash drivers not giving rides to airports today, and that may not cause a huge disruption. In fact, Uber says that they've seen this before, and it hasn't really impacted operations. But it's important to note, because that is still one big risk overhanging the company, that labor question. All of its drivers are classified as independent contractors. And like I said, every once in a while, there's this debate that emerges from lawmakers, from the drivers themselves, that maybe they should be considered employees. And the business model, the finances, doesn't work in that scenario. Yeah, no, it's a good point. You make good context. They've been able to overcome any conversation really about that for the last few years. Dee, thanks. Deirdre Bosa out in San Francisco. So, Jenny, I, I mentioned we've got ownership all over the place today. Jenny, you want it? Right. So Deirdre really highlighted exactly where we are when she talked about how basically the company swung their, the pendulum from like not caring all about profitability or shareholders to completely caring about shareholders and profitability in 2022. And then Brad highlighted that further with him saying, and they're going to generate $6 billion of free, sorry, $9 billion of free cash flow in 2026. So where we are as a shareholder is, you know, we bought this two years ago. We're up 240% since we bought it. We know we're not going to get that going forward. But at $9 billion of free cash flow, it's still a 6% free cash flow yield. But then you take in what Deirdre said and about the strikes. And you really need to see them start to get closer to the line of balancing out, we want to be super shareholder friendly, but we also can't cut into the bone. We can't cut into the meat of this business and we can't disenfranchise the drivers. So we need to see them start coming together on those and, and just be, be excellent operators. But I think we're at a critical time where they, you know, they're really moving into a more balanced and professional company um, than they had been in the past. It Weiss, was all one and then all the other. Weiss, you as well. You, you own the stock too. I do. And uh, I own it because of Dara. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job. And you know what's a great advertisement for your business to a consumer business? Is a stock price. Having every news show talk about how the company's doing so well and the stock doing so well. So that's number one. Number two, they've got a diversified business model as opposed to Lyft. And he's just turned it around. Now, it's not a riskless story. It's a large position, but not one of my largest because of the risk that Jenny points out. I think that ship has sailed already. They're not going to be full-time W-2 employees, and they shouldn't be because not, not all of them work a full day. But to me, the momentum is going to keep going. You'll see the price increases. And as long as he's there, he's mm -hmm. one of the top CEOs in the business, period. I'm going to be there unless it gets way ahead of itself as we see stocks tend to do in this market. Then, of course, I'll cut back or sell. Been a, been a big run. It's Josh Brown's biggest holding, as you know. Uh, by the way, he's going to be on Closing Bell uh, with me later on to discuss that. And certainly the markets. Joe has it in the Joe T and personally as well. Up next, big moves in Airbnb, Martin Marietta, Bitcoin and more. We'll get the trades from the committee when we come back. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. We are back. Let's hit some committee stocks on the move. There's one of them, Airbnb, down near 4%. They did have better-than-expected revenue. They beat on guidance, too. They announced a buyback. They give an optimistic forecast for the first quarter. So, Joe Ternova, why is the stock lower by 4%? A little bit of moderation in the growth rate coming up here in the coming quarter, and the comps are going to get more difficult. Uh, there was clearly exuberance in, in all of these travel names, Expedia, Booking Holdings, Airbnb. And for the viewers, you can own stocks that have exuberance, and you have to understand and set the expectation when you own a stock that has that exuberance that there is a significant potential for it to have a correction like you experienced in Expedia. And, and I don't think Airbnb is immune to that. I do like the fact that they announced the buyback that buffers some of the downside potential. Uh, you have Booking Holdings coming up, which is going to report, which we sold at the end of January. And, and I don't see how Booking Holdings isn't going to say something very similar. The growth rate is going to moderate. 2023 was a remarkable example of that roaring 20s mentality for travel and tougher comps are ahead. What about MLM, Martin Marietta, uh, which I think is still down. It was down 5%. No, it made it all all-time high today for Martin Marietta. Um, this is this is a company which is kind of defying the overall environment when you yeah, think about a manufacturing recession, when you think about rates continuing to rise and you think about what they're doing in the material space, full year revenue up 10%. And I, and I really think it's this company benefited, Scott, from where they're located, where they do most of their business, Texas. Colorado, Florida. These are states in the country where residential building and infrastructure building are incredibly hot right now. And that's why this company is at an all-time high. Weiss, Bitcoin, crossed above 51K. Yeah. Let's, let's take a look at it yeah. now. Highest level since December of 2021, trillion dollars worth of market cap. Right, so Joe's just for a history lesson here. So I bought it in expectation of the ETF being approved, sold half before and half after. That was the catalyst for this trade. My catalyst for the trade now, and the reason I got back in about a week ago and been adding over the last week, is that you are seeing the marketing machines continue to be out there competing for dollars to buy Bitcoin ETFs. So I think that momentum is going to continue. This is just, this is a, a, a asset class that trades on technicals and momentum more than any other. Prior highs in the 60s, I think we're going to get past there. Again, I don't see any use case. No use case has evolved, but the momentum is going to keep going. And when you trade, it's got to be with catalyst. And that's my catalyst. Okay. Cadence Design. 
They have disclosed the receipt of a subpoena from the DOJ related to business activity in China. That's through a 10K. You own this? What I do. do. Think here? And uh, I don't Take think I don't moving. think it. I think not this, down on it, obviously. I, I think uh, you know nothing changes here. Three fifteen seventy, I think, is the all-time high. This is a company utilizing application software in the development of semiconductor chips related to AI. Tell me that story is going away anytime soon. It's not. This is the first quote-unquote misstep that this company has had, and this is a very small misstep. This is a stumble at best. Um, it's a company I'm happy to own. All right, Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Ukraine's military said it sank a Russian landing ship in the Black Sea using drones. It's the second time in two weeks Ukraine has said that it has sunk a Russian ship in that area. Russian forces have yet to confirm the sinking. OpenAI announced state-backed hackers from Russia, China, and Iran have been using it for their hacking campaigns. The report released today said the company has rolled out a blanket ban on state-backed hacking groups in response. And for the right price, you can experience a president's need for speed. Former President George H.W. Bush's speedboat is going up for auction tomorrow in Houston. Proceeds from the sale of the 38-foot boat, Fidelity 5, will be used toward Bush's Bush 41's presidential library and the Bush School of Government at Texas A&M. He was quite the adventurer in his post-presidential life. Back over to you. Yeah. All right. Bertha, thanks. Bertha Coombs. Up next, calls of the day, the trades on City, CrowdStrike, Costco, and more. We're back in just two minutes. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. some calls of the day. I want to start out with Citi today. Take a look at shares up 2%. Stock got upgraded to overweight at Piper Sandler. The price target to 63, about 10 bucks higher than where it is now. They say this is an attractive entry point. They like what Jane Frazier is doing there. They must have stole your notes. <laughs> I like the setup here, Scott. I mean, it's been a long time in coming and poor Jane Frazier. I mean, the, the market gave her no honeymoon whatsoever. But here we are three, four months into a resurgence in the shares, and it looks good. If she can stay on the narrative, particularly this quarter, that costs are being cut, that profitability is increasing. And if you combine what I just said with a chart that looks good, if yesterday was the low, then we're in the pattern of setting higher highs and higher lows, uh, and it's off to the races. And it should be off to the races, trading at about 65% of tangible book value, buying back shares at that level. Again, just keep on target, Ms. Fraser, with the path to profitability increases. All right. Let's talk Palantir, which got downgraded, Joe, to hold from buy over uh -oh. at HSBC. The price target, they keep at 22. You can obviously see that it is above that now. 
This stock over the last year has been a huge winner. It's up 170 percent. It also falls into the parabolic category because it's up 45 percent just year to date. So this was due and they uh, hit it at the right time. Okay, but there's some fundamentals to support it. There's the emergence of profitability for this company, uh, and that's without higher defense spending, which is where they've really been reliant the last several years. That's all you need to look at in terms of what the street thinks about the downgrade. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I would agree with that. And remember, this is an AI story as well. They are diversifying the business model. They're expanding the commercial product division and being able to capture part of the AI thesis within that commercial product uh, division is going to grow the profitability even more. So I'm, I'm comfortable with where Palantir sits today. And a 10% drop to 22 probably is a buying opportunity. Let's jump ahead, uh, if we could, guys, to IBM. Price target today gets upped at Bernstein, because we just we don't talk about it that much. The price target goes to 165 from 145, I said Bernstein. They see a profitable path, or potential path, excuse me, to 12 billion in free cash flow. Stock's down a smidge. Jenny, you own it. <laughs> well, I think it's funny when you increase a price target and it's $20 a share below where it is. You know, so, so it's trading at 185. They increase the price target to 175. They put out this great free cash flow yield, um, this great free cash flow estimate, and we still own it. And I think our, our investment thesis is the same today as it always has been, which is as we move into cloud and as we move into big data and AI, the biggest are going to be the winners. And IBM, even though there's been so much that's like old and sleepy about it, they bought Red Hat, they have the biggest, they have a huge set of data, and they're going to be a winner in this space. So it's not going to be one of the big flashy winners, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a slow and steady winner. Our price target has always been north of 200. So a little different than theirs, but I think that we'll get there. And in the meantime, you're getting an almost 4% dividend yield while I, while I wait for that to continue to matriculate. Okay, I'm going to throw a curveball uh, from the dock. Let's pull up the GLD, if we could, guys, please. Because, uh, talk about gold today. Uh, it was under 2,000. Now it's back, it's still above. You sold the GLD, GOT. And it's approaching its critical, supportive, uh, moving averages. The reason why I bought gold in November uh, through the GLD was you had the disinflation narrative. And if you know this last mile from 3% to 2% is going to be most difficult for CPI, uh, that's going to create some friction. Again, the position has had relative underperformance from other assets which correlate to gold, which have performed really well. So I'm sure the market will bounce from here, but it's going to bounce without me. And it was time from a risk management perspective to cut the position from really not a price stop, but a time stop. Okay. Coming up, we'll have the setup on more key earnings this week, including Cisco after the bell. First, on Mike Santoli. He'll be here with his midday word next. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, is at the desk with us today yet again. Um, this feels very much like a, hey, let's catch our breath kind of day and let's see what tomorrow holds. I'm not sure what today is going to answer for, for anybody. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty noncommittal. Things got neutral, right? You skimmed away some of the froth and it was really aggressive in terms of how much downside skew there was to the action yesterday. So you definitely got fewer stocks that were stretched to the upside, but you didn't get to the point where it was truly cleansed. Um, I do think the bond market calming down explains why we have our footing under us. Uh, it's interesting. You know, everyone's talking about, will the dip buyers show up? 
I want to know the dip buyers going to show up in bonds because that's that's kind of arguably you're at the higher end of the range. You're above four and a quarter. These are levels where real yields start to seem like they're, you're getting paid again. Um, so that could dictate things. I'm persuaded by a lot of the work that says, um, you know, seasonally and for other reasons, you might have to just work things off through a trading range, if nothing else, in, in the big caps. Interesting Fed commentary today, don't you think? Will yeah. be uh, former Boston Prez Rosengren said, you know, overreaction. It's interesting because I think objectively you would say it really wasn't a hot number. It wasn't something that changed the trajectory longer term. But we got so used to downside surprises on inflation. And everybody, I think, decided to just check that box off. And, you know, inflation's taken care of. We were worried about growth. Now growth seems okay. And so I think it was about the bias. It was almost, you know, this is going around yesterday, too. Almost nobody was short treasuries. Mm-hmm. If you thought there was the possibility of an upside inflation surprise, there would be more people who were thinking you had uh, that risk in there. So I think that explains it, right? It wasn't a, a completely out-of-whack number. Market response, because we were so wound tight at yeah, a record yeah, yeah, high yeah. and everything else. That's the thing. The, the market rubber band was stretched yeah. pretty wide, especially in some place in NVIDIA arm yeah. and, and so, things where you, we could certainly look at that and understand it. I'll exactly. see you on closing, yep. Mike, thank you. Mike uh, Santoli, our senior markets commentator. How about Cisco? Higher ahead of earnings and overtime. We have plenty of ownership on the desk, too, which is why we'll give you the setup next. All right, Cisco's today in OT, so let's kick this around. Jim, you own it. Give me your read here. Everybody I know who owns the stock is a little nervous. Uh, let's just say I'm not making it in my final trade today. Um, the question is, has bad news been priced in? Because the last quarter was not good as far as their uh, look ahead at orders. Then you had the news last week that they're cutting heads. You don't generally do that if you're in a position of strength. The question is, at 12 and a half times forward earnings, 3% dividend yield, and against estimates that have come down since the last quarter, is the worst priced in? Now, I happen to think so because I think this is a very consistent company. But there is, unfortunately, some room to be surprised to the downside here. Can we see a a year-to-date on this, too, uh, please? Because you say you're nervous. It's because the stock hasn't done anything this year, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons. It just hasn't. What do you mean, well? Well, no, also because of the big layoff cut. So it's not just that it's done nothing. No, but I'm saying the stock has done nothing this year. It hasn't participated at all in this, you know, amazing run of the market. I'm just saying it's not only the share price move that gives us both pause, which know, is like also, you know, last quarter was ugly. Also, they just announced these really nasty layoffs. You. So I got you. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Please continue. Oh, I thank you. Um, so we're looking at it, too, and, and wondering at 12.6 times earnings, is that incorporated in? You know, what, are they going to say more about cost cutting? We have seen positive responses from cost cutting, from additional cost cutting. Mm-hmm. But like Jim, you know, going into it with with a lot of uh, negative anticipation. Big enthusiasm <laughs> about this Cisco earnings. Hey, you got to be real, you got to be realistic. Hey. I mean, you got to. I can't. Just, I can't. You know, blow smoke on yeah. this one. There is. You know, one thing I've said this before is this partnership they announced with Nvidia last week. Look, you want to see a company change the narrative the way Citigroup did, the way I said that a minute ago. Um, with Cisco, change the narrative right now. Let's put last quarter behind us. Hey, we got Nvidia. We're partnering with them. What's that going to mean? Hey, the cost cuts. We're getting more efficient. Let's move forward. Chuck Robbins tells it like it is, you know. Absolutely. Did I hope I didn't imply otherwise. No, I'm just saying I would be, I mean, I'd be surprised if, you know, you, you got anything but. I mean, he's straight shooter. I, I, yeah. yeah. 
and, and unlike some of the peers, it's not like it's had a big runoff. So it's not like we're sitting on the edge of a cliff waiting for something really wonderful. What we've learned too is that companies have been spending more on AI rather than on their network. So Cisco's growth isn't linear. I think this is one that you keep in your portfolio. It's just a really, really long-term holder and it's going to be fits and starts. All right, two big winners, two big losers. We'll document them next. Robinhood's a big winner as we highlight two of them today along with two losers. You take a look at Zillow as well. But Robinhood, they beat, uh, by the way, the CEO, Vlad Tenev, is going to be on today at 1 o'clock on the exchange. You don't want to miss that. Zillow beat, uh, and that was after the bell. That stock's up nicely. Upstart down big. Their guidance is the issue today. And MGM Resorts, Jimmy, so you own Win. Mm. MGM is down despite a beat. What's up? You know, I, that's a tough question to answer because I read the report and I saw a lot of positives like I saw from the Win report last week that Las Vegas is going gangbusters. No signs of stopping. Ugh. Super Bowl was positive. Uh, Macau is doing better than expected, but the stock's down 8%. Uh, the only difference between Win and MGM is MGM has a pretty big online uh, sports betting book. So that's the only thing I can point to here because Win's doing well. It's up today. I, I, other than that, that's the only difference. Is it 2014 or 2024? <laughs> Why are you making your dinosaur? Is he going to do that again? I don't know. Going to do that again? Win was like what? Would two, you, 240 take, in 2014. You know what? This it's has all about momentum. The timing. Has momentum. Oh. Has momentum. Okay. Right, Would you just take a look? I'll take a look at win. But it's not 2014, right? I want to see the momentum. I want a 10-year chart of win. If we could. Or Las Vegas Sands. How about that one? In the interim, there's plenty of great buy opportunities. Well, don't give me that ugly entry date chart. Give us like a year and a day. Hey, win's up 15% year to date. We're long-term investors here, Jenny. Are they put that put that day chart out? It looks like that's an ugly chart. Give the year to date or something. You're going to let people go. I want a 10-year. You're going to let people go into the 1 o'clock hour? There's one year. All right. You see it. You see it. It looks like a ski slope and then a walk Can't get a 10-year? Come on. Give me a 10-year. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Jimmy, there was lots of time to buy Now Jimmy's a short-term momentum player. All right. Final trades are next. Uh, we're going to have a barn burner today on closing bell at 3 o'clock as we chase this final hour of trade today. Josh Brown, as I said, will be with me. So we'll talk markets. Obviously, Uber, the big win there, biggest position. Sebastian Page of T. Rowe. Goldman's Jan Hatzius on what his expectations now are for the Fed. Evercore's Roger Altman, Christina Partsinevelis. We're going to be all over it. I hope you'll join me in a couple hours. Weiss, what's your final trade? Lighthouse, one of the few stocks up yesterday in the back of a great quarter. The stock is still cheap with a new management. I like this one a lot. It's an aerospace defense, really airport security. Okay, thank you for that. Jimmy Chalet. I'm going to run with that for a little bit. Jimmy Chalet. I like the ring to that. I like it, too, actually. Uh, I like Jimmy the Bull better, but I like Jimmy the Chalet. Disney, again, the narrative has changed. Wow, okay. Jenny. Sorry, Disney. Next, Terra R. It's a convertible preferred, so you have common-like upside and a 9.75% yield. All right, Joe. Progressive Corp. All right, so we are green for now, and I'll see you through the last hour. Closing bell. Uh, the exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.